three. You know what makes women stupid is college. Jesus was not a bartender. Hi, man. Two. You have lost your mind. Long tongue heifers have given me a lot more trouble than heifers wearing breeches. And you know that. Say amen right there. One. Let me tell you something, bozo. They'll be selling frosties in hell for this boy. Put on a pair of pink underwear. Amen. I sucked my thumb till I was 14 years of age. Hi, man. Hey everybody, thanks for tuning in to the very first episode of the Recovering Fundamentalist Podcast. We're your hosts, I'm JC, this is Nathan, and we have Brian coming to us live from Danville, Virginia. How you doing, Brian? Danville, Virginia, doing good. And we're glad you're here. Nate, you doing well? I'm doing great, man. I've enjoyed the holidays, excited about a new year. It is 2020. Can you guys believe that? No. No, it doesn't even seem real. I'm still partying like it's 1999. (laughs) (laughs) I graduated high school 20 years ago. That's crazy. That blows my mind. And you were done with college, right? I'm not even going (laughs) to engage in that conversation. I love it. Did you have a good Christmas? (laughs) Absolutely, man. Enjoyed time with the kids, the wife, just hanging out at the house, extended family. It was amazing. That's good. What about you, Brian? Yeah, we had a great Christmas. Uh, we uh, got to spend some great time with family, and uh, then you know celebrate with our kids who came over to the house. It was it was wonderful just gathering around the Christmas tree. The most special moment. My father-in-law has this tradition every single year when we go to his house before you can open a single present. He reads the entire Christmas story. This year, even after all these years of walking with Jesus, he read it with tears just flowing down his face. It was beautiful. That's mm-hmm. awesome. That's good. Yeah, we uh, we got to spend Christmas with my family at the house and my grandparents, who are both every Christmas for the last two or three years. We think this may be the last Christmas that we'll get to spend with them, but it's their their health is failing, and it was just special to be able to be there this Christmas with them and hang out. And man, we had a had a great time, and my kids. Oh, they loved it. I bet it was exciting up in the Groves house. Man, man. We, I put a trampoline together yeah. three hours on Christmas Eve. I saw and then some my, video and pictures of that. My help didn't show up, and so I grabbed the trampoline and drug it from my neighbor's backyard to mine in the middle of the night. It looked like I was still in a trampoline from somebody's backyard. <laughs> oh, but man, those kids, no broke bones yet. So That's on awesome. Wood. Hey, it looked Great. like the coffee bar turned out Son. amazing. Son, that thing is good. It's uh, We got Starbucks in the house. Groves Grounds? Groves Grounds. <laughs> coming in january 2021 (laughs) so so what did you get for christmas jc man i know we talked about it a couple weeks ago on on one of the preview podcasts about the garth brooks album on the cathedral's cassette and my wife knows that i'm a big garth brooks fan and uh, she got us tickets to the sold out show in charlotte north carolina no way row like eight i'm going to see garth baby it's gonna man, happen. that is awesome. Nice. And know, that tape ain't getting thrown out no window. <laughs> you know you're not a Christian anymore, but that's okay. No, you'll I know, still, it's all right. you'll still enjoy. <laughs> but hey, speaking of uh, Christmas, uh, Brian and I got you a little. It's not really little, but we got you. It's what? pretty heavy. We got you a Christmas present here, so I want you Can to open, open it. Now? Absolutely. We want you to open it right yeah, now. Open I love the duct tape. <laughs> no way. <laughs> Look at that. That is incredible. Tell us what it is. This is a legacy Garth Brooks records. It's seven vinyl LPs and seven CDs right here, babe. This is incredible. It was wow. really for hard for me to give that to you because I wanted to keep it. Thanks for spending sixty four ninety nine on me, fellas. <laughs> I left the tag on here. <laughs> well, here's the thing. JC can have it. Uh, everybody who knows me knows I'm not a country music fan, so 
listening to that much Garth Brooks for me, it might not qualify as hell, but it would at least be purgatory. That is incredible. <laughs> Dad can't do throw those out the window no, now. No, he can't. I'm not sure he could pick it up. <laughs> oh man, hey, I feel bad I didn't get y'all anything, but my presence is your presence. So. Well, thank you. Yeah, and well, you can you. look at us on video, Brian from Danville. <laughs> you ready to get hey, the show started? Shining through. You ready to get it started? Absolutely. Let's do this. Hey, we are three pastors who are recovering fundamentalists. We have been set free from the chains of legalism, and uh, we've been having this conversation around this topic for years, and we figured we would bring you into the conversation, and we are absolutely blown away at the response uh, that we have had on the two preview podcasts, and we're going to be talking about life and ministry before, during, and after this thing called legalism that is prevalent in churches that we grew up in and around those cultures. Nate, what's our mission? Our mission statement is this. We exist to help and encourage those whose lives have been negatively affected by fundamentalist legalism in the church and to challenge those who promote tradition over scripture. Yeah, we want to help those who feel stuck. Uh, we, you know, when we started this, we think of 22 year old me sitting in a church, uh, you know, Bible believe in sin, hate and shoot hell with the water pistol, KJV only type place, which was Woo! fine, <laughs> but I was miserable in certain ways because there was legalistic tendencies that we were stuck in and we couldn't get out. It was what we like to call the legalism treadmill. And you, you can only do that so long before burnout comes. And we want to help those of you who have listened and are listening. We want to help you get out of that. And uh, we want you to reach out to us. You can go to recoveringfundamentalist.org and uh, share your story. Many, many people have done that. Brian's getting ready to share a story with you here in a moment of somebody uh, who reached out to us. And so we want to help. We also want to encourage. Uh, there are a lot of former IFBers who still struggle with the thoughts that that they are sinning because they're not doing it the legalistic way um, that was poured into their brains or taught to us or dictated to us, whatever you want to say there. That's why recovering is the biggest word because it's in us, Brian, Nate, myself. It's part of who we are. Legalism at times is, is, can be our response or our initial reaction. And so we're still recovering from that, but not snowflakes that need counseling like Nate Exactly. Said. Yeah, but we're still recovering from that. And then ultimately, we want to challenge. The name of the podcast alone has caused some tension. <laughs> we have had positive and negative response to this and we get that it's going to happen because we want to challenge folks to ask themselves the hard questions we're going to be doing that we're going to have some some conversation on here that at times are uh, could seem controversial could be uh, negatively taken yeah um, but it's done out of a heart of love because we believe that truth doesn't fear a challenge and we want to ask Amen. we want you to ask the questions why do we believe what we believe you know why is the old time way the only way things like that and uh, even without trying though Nate you, you've said this we're going to rub people the wrong way um, this is not a podcast to bash no, no. But we are going to call out and bring to light some of the craziness, the sinfulness that is prevalent in this culture that we grew up in. And we're going to be open. We're going to be honest. We're going to be real. We are three pastors who believe in God's word. And for us, the bottom line is scripture. Right. And if things don't align with scripture, if something is extra biblical, we're going to challenge it. We're going to talk about it. And we know that we have gaps in our life, right? We're right. not perfect. None of us is perfect. Oh, and perfect. we give each other a hard time, but we we want to deal with this. And I think it's time. It's definitely time for this issue to be talked about in a public forum. I agree. We're going to call out legalism. I agree more. That's it. Brian, you want to share with us a story? Absolutely. Uh, this is from Mike Peters. Uh, Mike actually contacted us from Spain. 
And uh, it's a rather lengthy uh, message, but it's powerful. And so I think it'd be great if we just read it in its entirety and shared it with everyone, because I think people are going to identify with this. Mike says, hey, guys, I just listened to the Christmas Eve episode and really enjoyed hearing about all of the topics to be discussed. It really is a different language that only can be understood if someone lived in the IFB culture. I want to share my story as I believe God can use it for his glory and the good of others who've been hurt by legalism. My name is Mike Peters. Please use my name. You read that right. I want people to know it's my story. I've been given a unique place of influence in the lives of many from the IFB world, and I want them to know who Jesus is and that he is not a bunch of man-centered theology. Mm. I'm 35. I've grown up in the IFB movement my entire life until the summer of 2018. I was raised in churches under the preaching of Larry Brown and uh, Dwayne Nichols, Jack Hiles, Keith Gomez, and others. I watched as fundamentalism caused my parents to divorce due to my mom's blind loyalty to her pastors mm. over that of her own husband. Both of my younger sisters absolutely hate God because they think he is legalism. I went to Bible college in 2004. I was so hungry for acceptance that I totally owned everything that was said from the pulpit without ever even checking in the Bible. To illustrate how it was for me in those nine years under that ministry, here are a few examples of things I heard. And by the way, guys, some of these are so bad that I just wouldn't even feel comfortable reading them. Yeah. But there were racial slurs from the pulpit. Shame dominated everything. Hyper-separatism was prevalent in that ministry. And there are so many other examples that really I, I just don't think it would be edifying even to mention. Right. But he goes on to say, I met my wife at the Bible college there. She was born into that church. She also attended that Bible college. Her parents both went to Hiles Anderson in the 80s during the heydays. Fast forward to 2011, we surrendered to be church planters in Spain. We began to raise support from the IFB, KJV-only churches. I didn't even consider other churches and what they were at that time. What was interesting is that even within that small sliver of Christianity, there were still so many differences. We visited almost 300 different IFB churches in the process of about three years. What was shocking to us was that even among those churches, there were so many differences from our own home church. We could not believe that God was blessing those other churches that practiced differently than us. <laughs> Seeing this anomaly really made us start to rethink our positions on multiple issues during our time of fundraising. One day, while we were on the road, after seeing a performance at the Sight and Sound Theater in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, I love that place, the Holy Spirit really hit me hard. The gospel was preached during the performance, and God was glorified. But the music was kind of Southern gospel style with drums. As my wife and I were driving back to where we were staying, I began to ask us rhetorical questions. I said, if they are the enemy because of their musical preferences, even though they preach Christ, then why is that wrong? I would rather be a Biblicist than a Baptist. Mm. I scared myself as those words left my mouth. Wow. Because we didn't know anyone outside of the IFB circle, we didn't ask any questions. We clearly didn't ask our pastor questions 
because we had already seen the way he filleted and maligned anyone who was not like him. So because we were raising our support from IFB churches and because our sending church and our sending pastor was so stringently IFB, we kept our mouths closed and went to Spain in 2013. After all that, we began to make changes based upon the scripture and not the tradition that we have been brought up in or man's opinion. As we began to serve in ministry in a European context, the stark realities of what we believe versus what we practice came into view more clearly. We began to realize that we could no longer live with this cognitive dissonance and what we had created in our own, what had been created in our own Bible study, prayer, and reliance on the Holy Spirit's leadership took place and charge in our lives. As I planted our first church in Selville, Spain, I realized I had to live what I preached. And I sure as heck wasn't going to preach or live legalistically in front of these dear Spanish people God had brought my way. So it all came to a head in the spring of 2018. I called and resigned from our sending church and the missions board. I spoke to our pastor and let him know our decision to move to a different church. I can enclose in this email a very interesting post that I shared in a closed pastor's group on Facebook asking for help as I knew I would lose support. The message I shared in the pastor's group was somehow seen and copied and forwarded to my sending church. So I was sent a copy of my post along with a very defamatory letter about us to all of our supporting churches. The attachments are in this email. This was June 2018. In the process of about two months, out of 70 supporting churches, we lost all but six. Wow. I received phone calls and emails from various IFB pastors around the country telling me that we were liars, venomous snakes, and there was no hope for me or my children or my family. Hmm. Friends of mine who were very close to me called to chew me out and express their disappointment based upon one man's letter written about us. So we spent three months stateside trying to rebuild our network that was so quickly dissolved once we stood for the gospel. During that time, we visited family. My father-in-law told my wife in front of my kids that she should leave me and take the kids. He told her that it would have been easier for him if she would have told him that she was a lesbian. Wow. Mm. Then it would be to see us change our standards but still claimed to preach the gospel. I got in his face and told him he was a coward, biblically illiterate, and ultimately he was just full of crap. (laughs) I told my father-in-law later that he should have physically attacked me at that moment. When my wife defended me, he called me and her demon-possessed. We returned to Spain that fall of 2018. We have since planted a second church, and God is healing us with his glorious gospel. Praise the Lord. We still have an awkward relationship with my wife's family, but God has used this desert to cause us to lean more on him. We still don't have the spiritual, emotional, or financial support we need, but he is making a way, and we are at a greater sense of rest and peace than ever before. 
Although we are still trying to totally detox from decades of legalism, we still battle anxiety, depression. We've seen Christian professionals, and yet the struggle is still difficult. For this reason, I've gone back to school for counseling and psychology with a Christian worldview. So I have to help people who've been hurt by legalism. But the gospel continues to heal us day by day. In closing, I want to share my story because I know there are many more people out there who are just like me, pastors and lay people included. I can't shake the feeling in my spirit that God is calling me to help them see the truth and get freedom in Christ. And for those who've left the faith altogether, I want them to know that Jesus is not what they've experienced. Mm. I believe with all of my soul that God has shaped me for this unique opportunity in his kingdom. What an awesome story. Wow, that is an incredible, incredible. And I know that was a little bit long for uh, an episode, but we wanted to include that because, Mike, we want to say to you that that took a lot of courage. It did. And I I am very, there are a lot of things we left out and didn't go into, but just encouraged at what God is doing in your life and how you are reaching uh, people in Spain and taking them the gospel rather than tradition. Uh, nobody needs tradition. Mm. Tradition can be great and uh, if, if it's kept in its proper place, but seeing how it was totally taken out of context and, I mean, down to the pastor telling a father-in-law he should attack his son-in-law. I mean, just, just so much. Yeah, and this right. resonates so much with all three of our stories and uh, just thank you for sharing that. And this is just one example of, of many people that have reached out to us. It's true. I, I think of the quote from uh, Chris Caminelli. It says, our scary stories lose their power to the torment once we allow God to redeem them. And, you know, we've all been around this long enough to know that there are a lot of people wandering in that same wilderness that you have been in. And, uh, man, we're thank you for, for sharing that. We've read comments and posts. We've seen the journeys. And we are hopeful that sharing this podcast and your stories can help you. And maybe someone reading this right now, uh, we can help you find your way into grace that Mike was just talking about. Yes. And, you know, today it wouldn't be fair for us to ask other people to share their stories if we weren't willing to share our stories. And today I'm super excited that we're going to have the opportunity, Nathan, to hear you open up about your journey and that you're going to allow JC and I to ask you questions about the journey that you've been on. Because God has been at work in your life, both through the good and the bad. And so today, uh, Nathan, we're just looking forward to hearing you share, maybe just in the same way that that Mike just did, your journey and your story of freedom from fundamentalism. Yeah, I appreciate you guys giving me the opportunity to be the guinea pig here. That's right. So I I don't remember drawing the short straw, but obviously I I did at some point. So It's your your New Year's resolution to be more vulnerable, right? Yes, I think so. And and I've just got to be honest, I'm, I'm nervous. And anytime you share your story, there's there's a lot of messy parts. Yeah. And uh, but yeah, I'm I'm excited about sharing my story and and what God is doing in my life. Let's start at the beginning. Okay. Go back to childhood where where your parents. I know that you know they were hippies. Start back in 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 that that vein. Okay. Awesome. Uh, well, first of all, the mark of the independent fundamentalist movement, and it is a movement, but the mark of IFB movement is that. Uh, that word independent because they're so different across the spectrum. And we've had people contact us. I believe there's some very good, solid gospel teaching 
IFB churches, and there are some that are just totally off the rails. So uh, it, it is a movement because there there are some things that they share in common, but I know that there are a lot of things that are, are different out there. So I want to share my experience from uh, my experience in the movement, which may be different from a lot of people, but I believe it'll be very similar to a lot of people, and I know ours are similar. So as JC said, my parents were saved into an IFB church in Pensacola, Florida in the 70s. That was the heyday yeah. of the independent movement and that was probably the epicenter of the ifb movement there with the uh, pensacola christian college and Uh-oh. ruckman and all the other things going on down there so uh definitely bible belt so my parents experienced a radical conversion and their lives were never the same and i'm so thankful to uh the pastors and the the churches that were influential in them coming to christ and they were immersed in this hippie movement. And my dad's life was spared when he was on his way out of the door of our house to go on a drug deal with my aunt and uncle. And my mom just happened to have a migraine headache. I don't believe anything is, is uh, just just happens. Happens. But yeah. uh, uh, definitely not coincidence. But my dad was out of the door. My mom was crying because she had a, a migraine headache. And she said, you just go ahead. She knew what was going on. And uh, my dad said, no, I'm going to stay home with you. Well, not too long after that, my uncle was shot and killed Mm. in this drug deal. And the following Sunday Mm. morning, my parents were in church Mm. and uh, they ended up coming to Christ. Like I said, they had a radical conversion and uh, their lives were never the same. They were in church that following Sunday and I would say every Sunday since, unless they were very, very, very sick, uh, which didn't happen very often. Uh, They were both saved in this independent church and they surrendered to full-time ministry my dad was in bible school at peter ruckman's wow college wow and uh yes definitely i i remember uh hearing him meeting him and uh people like pastor bob gray from trinity in jacksonville florida who's been through all kinds of uh, things that I don't even have to mention because it's all over the internet. Lester Roloff was uh, was a uh, had a ra- radio program that my dad and mom listened to weekly, and my dad wrote Lester Roloff a letter and said, "Hey, I'm a uh, construction worker, plumber, sheetrock guy. Could could the uh, God's calling us into ministry? Could uh, the girls' homes and boys' homes out there use a guy like me?" And so. Uh, Lester Olaf actually read that on his radio program, and we packed up all of our belongings in a single cab pickup truck and left out from Pensacola, Florida, to go to Texas. Wow! So uh, we how old were you? I was five years old. Five years. I, I was just a few days shy of, of turning five years old at that time. So uh, sitting in the floorboard of the pickup truck with my uh, family of five, <laughs> we're we're headed to Texas, and we stop off at a girls' home, New Bethany Home for Girls. If you ever want to go in a black hole, search that on the internet, uh, where Mac Ford was the director and the pastor there. And we ended up staying there for about a year. And uh, there were a lot of issues going on there. My dad picked up on that. My dad's very discerning, very wise man. He picked up on it and he uh, took us out of that environment. Yeah. And uh, we ended up coming to Rock Spring, Georgia, to the Blessed Hope Baptist Mission and Boys Home. Wow. And my dad was coming to fill in for Bubba Key, who was a big uh, IFB guy, Mm -hmm. uh, traveled around and sang and preached and uh, started boys' homes and children's homes. And he had actually been ran over and killed by a motorhome. So my dad went there to fill in for him, ended up filling in for 24. 
five years, <laughs> I believe. So we ended up. <laughs> That's a long interim. There. So, yeah. So my my childhood, basically, I'm in church from three at a minimum to seven days a week. And Brian, you know what this is like. JC, you know what this is like. We're we're uh, going to everything from uh, normal Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night church to revivals, camp meetings. My favorite was always eating meetings. Come on. Y'all know about an eating meeting? Yes, sir. Eat- Look, I'm a billboard for eating meetings. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> Dinner yeah. on the grounds, hey, homecoming. Potluck is, is a beautiful thing. <laughs> yes, it is. So those were those are always my favorite. The boys home, we called them, we dubbed them eating meetings. So um, homecoming. So I, I went to Christian schools which ended up in Tennessee Temple Elementary, then high school. Uh, as I said, I was kicked out of the high school. I did not go on to the college, yeah. but uh, had that whole experience there. I had my first salvation experience at four, then again at eight, then 15, then 23 years old. So there's this constant, any anything within the legalist movement and legalism, you just, you're never enough. Your life song was, there's a new name written down in pencil. There you right. go. And, <laughs> just and write it down and then erase it. That God just came God to me right there. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, so, and and I can't blame that on the the churches or the pastors, but that was something that I really struggled with. I just felt like I was never good enough. Yeah. And any time a pastor would give a very moving uh, invitation, and like I wasn't convinced that I was good enough because I knew I didn't measure up to the standards. So, um, before I was born, my mom prayed for a preacher boy, and I could sing sing hymns before I could uh, speak. And I was in church nine months before I was born. That was that was my whole childhood. I preached my first sermon, believe it or not, at four years old. And then at 12 years old, I felt the call back into that, began speaking at uh, youth conferences and different things mm. like that. And when I say youth conference, very small churches, very small right. youth groups and gatherings, but uh, definitely felt drawn back into that. But in middle and high school, I was pulled away into the world of sports, absolutely fell in love with sports. It became an idol in my life friends, fitting in, uh, girls, and I've really got two testimonies. I've got the Christian testimony where everything kind of uh, has this nice little ring, and I, I did experience a great childhood. Grew up on an 18-acre farm at the boys' home and had dirt bikes and horses and like just had an awesome, awesome childhood. My parents were amazing. I love them. But there is also this other side because growing up in a boys' home, I was exposed to a lot of things that were that were negative. Right. And uh, I, I stopped short of calling it abuse. There was some abuse that I experienced as a very young boy, but I really want to kind of stop short of calling it abuse because it was something I embraced. Sure. And I enjoyed and I was exposed to things at six and eight years old that uh, no child should ever be exposed to. Then at 10 or 11, I was exposed to pornography, which opened a whole new world of, of uh, things that I didn't have any idea mm-hmm. exists. I was actually at a church and one of my friends that went to another church on Thursday night instead of Wednesday night took his dad on a hike in the woods to see our clubhouse that we had built. And there was uh, some things that we had pinned up onto the wall. <laughs> and man, we got in some Bible. really big, Bible. really oh, big wow. trouble for that. They I were not bipolars. It was a bad time to be your backside. <laughs> yes, it was, man. Imagine coming home from church, see your friend and his dad sitting there saying, guess what I found in the clubhouse? Yeah. And I just, the blood drained from my head. I knew I was dead. So... <laughs> So imagine growing up at a boy's home and being exposed to everything that these boys had experienced. It was for boys that had been in trouble with the law. Instead of going to jail, they would come to Blessed Hope Boys Home. Wow. 
And so I was ex- I was exposed to all that. Stole my first church van at 12 years old. <laughs> actually, my only one. I haven't stolen any other cars besides that. But we actually were at Faith Bible Camp. In Rosaka, Georgia? I, yes, yes. Oh, Georgia. And, and uh, I asked the the house parent that was there with the boys home if I could, I, I, on purpose, lock my Bible in the van. It snuck out, and another 18-year-old boy snuck out with me. We stole the van, drove down to the gas station. I drove as 12 years old on the road. I was like, I stole the keys. I'm driving. So I drove down to the gas station. He bought some cigarettes. We smoked them on the way back to the camp <laughs> and hung out, joy rode for a long time, then went back into the camp, and uh, I don't know how they didn't smell cigarettes on Smelled they, like hail. They probably <laughs> did. But anyway, that was just a little, a little taste of what I was uh, growing up in, uh, rested at 12 years old for shoplifting and, and just this, this world of, like I said, two totally different stories. And there yeah. was a pattern of hiding sin, confessing sin, feeling guilty, but then never really dealing with it. What was your conversion? What, what was the turning point you, well, the, the, in your walk with Jesus, the turning point in my walk with Jesus, the one steady, the constant in my life is that my parents were extremely godly people. Hmm. They never got off into extreme legalism or extreme fundamentalism. We were brought up in that world, but my my parents were were very balanced and very faithful. But I was exposed to to separatism, to topical preaching out of context, right. outward adherence to a list of standards, covering up sin, extra biblical doctrines, King James only, dress, uh, us versus them. We're the only ones who are right. Uh, culture of condemnation, judgmentalism within the church, lack of discipleship, distractions from the gospel. So all these different things were were part of what I experienced, the negative side of fundamentalism. But uh, my parents being rock solid and being, uh, being uh, faithful and living behind closed doors in a way that matched up with what they said was was key in my life. But my wife and I uh, well, my girlfriend at the time joined a Southern Baptist church six months before we were married. Mm. We were both uh, bringing, dragging some baggage into our marriage that that we thought we wouldn't have to deal with. Guess what? You will. <laughs> it, it will come out. We were married. We were married young, so we basically grew up together. And and we found out three months before our wedding that we were expecting. So we started out on the wrong foot. And uh, that was very tough on my wife. It was it was tough on me. I didn't understand a lot of the things, but we started out going through some some real, real deep struggles in my life. And as I said, I brought some baggage into my marriage. I had a sexual addiction that had been hidden, but had never been truly dealt with. But the most influential thing in my conversion was was Christ speaking to me my entire life through Scripture Mm. And the scripture that I heard growing up, even many times out of context, it has a way of planting itself in, sure. in your heart. Always. And also my life experiences. I lost my best friend. I was his best man at his wedding. He was my best man in my wedding. I lost my best friend and two of my closest cousins within a year and a half, uh, three of the closest mm-hmm. people in my life. And it made me examine my life in light of eternity. I was a fake and I knew it. I was trying, but I could not live up to this man-made list of expectations. So at 23 years old, God spoke to me in a powerful way in a revival service on a Wednesday night. 
And Dana Williams was speaking and basically said, I don't want to know of all the prayers you've prayed or all your list of accomplishments or how good you are or how you sing in the choir or, or lead the youth group or teach Sunday school. And I was doing all of those things yeah. in a really good church. Mm-hmm. I was blessed with a great community. I'd left the legalism behind, but I had never truly given my life to Christ in in a way that that changed my life. I was trying to do it on my own. So Went home, didn't make a decision there, but the next day at work, I was all alone, and God met me in a garage with with uh, unfinished gravel uh, in the garage. I'm sitting on a concrete block, and I opened my Bible, and I said, God, I know my life's not right, and I don't want to leave this place until you speak to me. Mm. And that is where I gave my life to Christ. So the faking (laughs) was emptying you of you. I mean, you were doing all of those things, and yet you weren't even really a follower of Jesus. I was as sincere as anybody I've ever met, but I could not do it on my own. I could not live in the flesh as a Christian without the Holy Spirit in me, and nobody can. It's it's an impossible right. treadmill to try to run on. Yeah, I agree with that. You know, I think, I think too, though, what you're sharing is we can draw from our experience with no true dependency on the Holy Spirit. Do you agree with that? Absolutely. Absolutely. So so I experienced true salvation at 23 years old, and the first thing that God told me as soon as I prayed and asked him to come into my heart and save me and be the Lord of my life, and I, I basically just gave him my life. And when I did that, the first thing God said to me, which was the last thing I expected, was come clean. He said that as I prayed and said, Jesus name, amen. Like I had tears in my eyes and God spoke to my heart and said, come clean. And I was like, Lord, not that. I knew what what that that meant. I knew exactly what that meant. I ended up going to my parents and confessing some things that, that they never knew about where I had dishonored them in, in, uh, the years of growing up in their home. I talked to them. I went to my wife. And told her some things that I had dragged into our marriage and some things that were affecting our marriage. I came clean. It was the hardest thing I had ever done with a young boy and a young uh, a young son, a uh, young wife, and a, a baby girl that was on the way within a month of the time that this happened. And yet it was the best thing I ever did because it allowed those things to be brought into the light. And uh, I stopped hiding my sin. My sin was exposed. And I began to rebuild, God began to rebuild my life on a solid foundation, not of my works, but on a foundation of grace. That's good. And You know, as I'm listening to you talk here, I don't think that when we were living legalistic lifestyles that we would have called ourselves legalists. No, I wouldn't have. Some of the words that, that I think that ruled our life that I've heard you say during this, Nate, is, you know, trying to please God, being right with God, living a holy life, living right being in God's will, you know, some of those things come straight out of the Bible and inherently it's not the actions of those phrases that we're necessarily denouncing on this podcast. It's the motivation and intention behind those actions, trying to please God, trying to be good enough. I've heard, you know, a lot of that was workspace of why I got saved at four, at five, at at eight, at 10, trying to earn your salvation. You want, yeah, we, I heard a lot about one of the marks as I've already said of independent fundamental Baptists is that they're the only ones that are right. Uh, There's a, something called landmarkism and it's basically it's ingrained the trail of blood if you've ever read that little booklet it's basically we are the true church of acts yeah and everybody else is wrong 
And so growing up, I, I heard more preaching about all the churches around us that were doing it wrong than about what was right. Honestly, yeah. it was a big deal to call yeah. everybody out and you had to do that. And so we, we heard a lot about uh, like uh, Pentecostal churches that was they they would preach the true gospel on how to be saved. But then they said the true mark of that was what? Speaking in tongues. Right. Well, independent fundamental Baptist had a true mark of really being saved. Well, you cut your hair short, mm-hmm. you wear the right clothes, you listen to the wow, right music, you go that's to the really right good. places, you you're you know, you you have to adhere to all these externals and it adds to the gospel. That's right. And no one can live up so, to it. So Nathan, I, this is a big question uh that I, I think needs to be dealt with. So if in legalistic churches I mean, we could say fundamentalist churches. We could say, you know, fundamentalist Pentecostal churches. If in legalistic churches the true gospel is preached and a discipleship takes place that actually grows a person to spiritual maturity, then why is it there are the constant repeat salvations and then the doubt about salvation? Because almost everybody I've talked to that came out of our background they have over and over and over again asked Christ to come into their hearts and to save them, and still, as adults, they wrestle with ongoing doubt. You know, Brian, I I was getting ready to ask something similar along those lines because I think what stands out to me during listening to this and knowing my story and hearing yours, Brian, is that, that phrase, we're trying to please God. It, it touches on the true motivation of people that are entrapped in legalism. Mm-hmm. We want the approval the love, the acceptance of God, but we're forgetting that Christ has earned that acceptance for us. So we keep trying to yeah. earn it through our actions yeah. and doing enough good and being enough and cutting our hair the right way and wearing the right clothes. And, you know, yeah. And, and one thing that I really want to stress is there's this us versus them mm. attitude in churches and our family has to look this way. Don't dishonor the family. Here's, here's what I learned growing up in independent fundamental churches. Our lives were as messy in the church as kids and pastor's kids and missionaries' kids as anybody else's, maybe even to a greater extreme because it was it it was stifled so much. Our sin nature is not something that a denomination can deal with. It's something the Holy Spirit has to deal with personally. And you can put people in an environment to hear the gospel and to be exposed to truth. But you can't beat that into him. And it varied literally as kids. It was almost beaten into us. Yeah. And yeah. it didn't change my heart. It, it made me for a while no. try to adhere to these these lists. But then ultimately, I just went rebellious. And I know a lot of independent fundamental people will listen to these podcasts and be like, well, you were just rebellious. Yes, I was rebellious because I tried to live up to it and I never could. And so I said, what's the use? And I walked away and I don't blame my pastors for that. I don't blame my parents for that. That was something that I chose because I knew I wasn't good enough. Well, but don't you think when you major on the externals, you set people up for that? Like I know a little while ago you said, and I think you were being kind in saying it, that you weren't going to blame the pastors and the preachers and the evangelists that you were brought up under, but they do share part of the blame because if we major on the externals and we don't really deal with the inward issue or the source of sin, you know, for example, we can talk about addiction to pornography, we can talk about lust, we can talk about rebellion, we can talk about all of those things, but the heart is the issue. And I think growing up, what I heard more frequently was 
you know, resolve this outward issue, and then you'll be accepted by the church. And if you're accepted by the church and by the brethren, you're not really dealing with inwardly uh, the source. And, and so I think we deal with the outward issues, and we don't really deal with the source of the issue. And it becomes, look at me. Yeah. My hair is cut correctly. Look at me. Right. I'm dressing correctly. Look at me. I'm carrying this version of the Bible. Mm-hmm. And yet, look at me is is not really showing any respect of the idea that God looks on the heart. I yeah. think we miss that. That's the core of that's the core of the yeah. issue. Yeah, and that goes back to what we talked about in the last episode: is that we're living for acceptance instead of from it. That's huge. Nate, we call this the Recovering Fundamentalist Podcast. There's a reason why we call that. We're we're not recovering from the fundamentals of our faith, but no. we're recovering from the tendencies, the legalistic a system. The a man-made system. system. Yeah. So why are you yes. a recovering fundamentalist? Why are you not an IFB anymore? I would list three reasons. Number one is focus. Um I the the experiences I had in independent funnel, fundamental Baptist churches. They were not gospel-centered. They were more about standards and outward performance than they were about the gospel. So number one, I'm not IFB because of the focus. The focus of the movement is is supposed to, of, of any church should be the gospel and Jesus. And it's just not. When, when everything else gets more airtime than Jesus and tradition gets more airtime than scripture, it, it ceases to be gospel-centered. Number two, I would have to say a lack of love, a lack of love in that uh, John chapter 13, verse 35 says, Jesus said, by this will all people know that you're my disciples, if you carry a King James Version. Isn't that what your Bible says, Brian? No. No, it says, by this will all people know you're my disciples, if you have love for one another. Love did not characterize the churches that I grew up in, and I would especially say the movement. Uh, our our local church, our our hometown church, I would say, had uh, the love of Christ reflected in, it. and I saw that in my family. I saw that in the boys' home. But the the movement at large, when we went to the big camp meetings, it it wasn't defined by love. And the third thing is pride. Mm. The whole preacher celebrity, uh, us versus them. It's it's something that there's an arrogance at the heart of legalism and fundamentalism that I believe is distasteful to God, and it was distasteful to me as a young boy. And that's why I chose one of the reasons I absolutely chose to walk away. And I did not believe. Also, uh, JC, one of the huge things, you're actually a, a, a DJ on a local Moody radio station, sure. Chattanooga, Tennessee. And Moody radio played a huge part in my story because as a young boy, um, driving back and forth to my IFB school, uh, we were listening to Moody. And yeah. I would hear pastors like... Uh, uh, Tony Evans yeah. and uh, Chuck Swindoll and John MacArthur and uh, and many more I could name that are solid, some of the best sermons I'd ever heard in my life, but they were preaching out of different versions of the Bible. Right. And I was taught that they weren't even Christians if they weren't using a King James Version. And sure. so as a young boy, right. it rocked my world. And I was just like, "There's there are other believers out there that love Jesus, but they don't fit into this mold. Well, I do have uh, one question, uh, Nathan, that I would like to ask you, just uh, my final question, I guess, and it's two questions in one. How have you been most negatively affected by fundamentalism? How have you been most positively affected by fundamentalism? I would say negatively, the the pride, the the rules, the outward performance, it becomes a part of you. 
Mm-hmm. Like I, I default back. It's funny. We started uh, 16, 17 years ago, started a, a ministry called Young America Ministries here in Chattanooga. And we were ministering to kids in trailer parks and in the projects. And me and JC had a chance to work together on yeah. that. And uh, the founder of that, Wes Williams and his wife were such a huge help. Uh, it, Keela and Wes would talk to me and they would, they gave me, I think a CD at the time or something to use. And it had Toby Mac on it. Huh. And I was already out of the IFB world, but they gave me that. And I was like, there's no way. Yeah. I was like, there's no way I would use that with, with kids. And he's like, why not? And I was like, well, because it's, well, because, well, I don't know. I was was like, yeah, I was like, I I don't know. And I was listening to contemporary, but it was still just this mindset. And then, you know, I had to challenge that with scripture because it's a cultural thing. It's not a scriptural thing. Preference. Exactly. It's preference. So I would say negatively, it's hard to break free of legalism. Even even years later, like that pride wells up in me. I see people and and I think I'm better than them. I want to beat on my chest and say, mm-hmm. God, I thank you. I'm not like them. And and I don't think that characterizes my life, but it's something I definitely fight against. So that's the negative thing. The positive side, I would just say that I'm I'm thankful I wasn't raised in a liberal church. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm thankful mm-hmm. that that I was taught the fundamentals of the faith. I'm, I'm thankful that I know who Jesus is, that I believe the Bible is actually God's word, that it means what it says. And I'm, I'm thankful that I was taught that you should have standards because yes, we should have. And I do have standards in my life. And I, I just, I want to say right now, the most important thing to me in my life and my most important ministry is my family. Hmm. Uh, I've been married to Carrie for 23 years and my son, Austin, is, is 23 years old. Elena is 20. Elise is 12. And Mia is 10. And I love them more than life itself. And it has been a, it has been a struggle in my life to find balance in ministry mm. because it, as pastors, we all know that the, the, the squeaky wheel gets the oil, right? Yeah. So your family, a lot of times, is at home and they suffer. And that's something that I've really struggled with, but it's something that really really matters to me because I love my wife. I love my kids and I want to be faithful. If, if no one in this world ever knows my name, but my family would say what I would say about my parents, that they were real and that behind closed doors, they love Jesus. And, and there are many things that are important to me now that, that I would say I'm reformed in my faith. I would say salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone, according to Scripture alone, for that. God's glory alone. That yeah. matters to me. And and people say I'm a modernist because I'm not an independent fundamental Baptist, or sure. I'm a liberal. I, I want to talk to you about that because this is what I believe. I love Spurgeon. Some of my favorite pastors are John Piper, John MacArthur, Tim Keller, R.C. Sproul, just to name a few. And I love my Baptist brothers and my family who yeah. is still in that world. And I thank God for the things I learned as a child, but most importantly that my mom and dad lived out their faith behind closed doors. The gospel, Brian JC, the gospel is everything. The Bible is sufficient. It's all about Jesus and grace is our only hope. I love it, man. It's good. Thanks for sharing your story today. Thank you. Brian, you good? Yes, sir. I think it was great. Nathan, thank you for boldly sharing your story. Uh, you said so many things that meant so much that it's I true. think it's going to be good that people can replay the podcast because there's some things you said that I want to spend some time meditating on and thinking yeah. about. So, man, great job. I loved it. We're going to be breaking this down over the next few weeks, too, and 
this is good for uh, future conversations as well. Sounds so. good. I appreciate the opportunity to do this. And I love and want to say I love you guys as brothers that help hold me accountable. And uh, this is not a road we walk alone. Yeah. We're together in this. And there are a lot of other people out there. There are. That God is going to use this to help. And that's why I'm glad we're starting this this way, because you're going to hear that we, we, we don't have it all figured out. We're not coming on because we got a podcast. Not we got some hierarchy that we can speak into this. We're messed up. I am a mess. Yeah. I'll just say that. <laughs> we're walking through this together, and I'm glad to be on the journey with you guys. Yeah. It's Amen. great. And we're going to go ahead and wrap up now. And uh, we want to thank a few folks that helped us get this podcast off the ground. Uh, just a few folks. Chattanooga Beard Co., they sponsored the first few shows for us. And uh, Matt Patty and those guys down there. Be sure to go see them. They've been taking care of Nate and my chin curtains for a few years. Absolutely. And, uh, we love them down there. Brandon Langford, he did the logo and the artwork for the podcast Justin Knight my goodness we cannot say enough good about Justin Knight he does the behind the scenes work he is the real MVP would you guys MVP. agree that guy's oh, really incredible is. doing everything you're, the result of you hearing this is us just talking into a mic he does everything after that to get it going Cowboy Kyle uh, doing the editing and the mastering and the creative intro and outro we want to thank him Sean Fit, uh, Whitfield at Whitfield Media Group for letting us use the studio we got our engineer Clint Powell in the studio today and uh, he's shocked that he just got a shout out so we thank you Clint and uh, we are excited about this podcast it's going to be coming out the first and the third Wednesday of every month and then uh, we've got something new we're going to throw in there uh, on the off weeks we're going to have what we call the rfp extra and uh, that's going to be an episode where you will want to tune in because you'll get to hear from each one of us individually with a sermon a message a talk uh something that we google and read i don't know <laughs> it's going to be great but that's the rfp extra and that'll be coming out the second and fourth and then the fifth month fifth week of the month i don't know what we're going to do we'll uh We'll do a, a singing special. I'm just kidding. That That's sounds terrible. good. I'm going to hold you to that. <laughs> That's horrible. We Garth <laughs> yeah. Brooks. Only Garth. Oh, there we go. That'll be great. Hey, we thank you for tuning in to the Recovering Fundamentalist podcast. Be sure to be here with us next time and uh, check out our website, recoveringfundamentalist.org. We'll see you next time, guys. Have a great week. Adios. Bye, God bless. Thanks for listening to the Recovering Fundamentalist podcast. Be sure to stop by our social media, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Give us a follow. Also, go to our website, recoveringfundamentalist.org. That's recoveringfundamentalist.org. There you can find Recovering Fundamentalist swag. You can get your t-shirts and hats. You can join our ex-fundy community. See where we're going to be having some meetups. It's the recoveringfundamentalist.org. Be sure to join us next time for the Recovering Fundamentalist podcast.